0: It's the Locked On Podcast Network.
1: Your team every day. It's another crossover edition between Locked On Cougars and Locked On Ducks. The man you see right there is Spencer McLaughlin, who is the host of Locked On Ducks as well as Locked On Pac12. I'm Jay Catch and we are previewing this weekend's matchup between the Ducks and the Cougars up there in Otsen. What's up, everybody? I'm Jake Hatch, host of Locked On Cougars, joined by host of Locked On Ducks, Spencer McLaughlin, who also hosts Locked On Pac-12. Double, uh, double the duty for Spencer over there, doing two <laughs> daily podcasts on two different things. But Spencer, thanks for taking the time. How are you, my friend?
0: Hey, it's great to be with you, Jake. Looking forward to uh, the game this Saturday. I, I expect it, as we'll get to here on our uh, on our game preview, to be a, a tight, competitive affair. And that's what the betting markets think it'll do as well.
1: Well, and that, that's the thing. Our friends over at BetOnline.ag think still have it as a three and a half point uh, f- favorite is for Oregon, so three and a half points given to the Ducks. But yeah, they're expecting a pretty tight contest. And I, for one, cannot wait for this. Uh, I've actually been waiting to have this game uh, show up on the schedule for some time. Because Oregon and BYU, the last time they played is way back in 2008, if I'm not mistaken, and it's so it's been a hot minute since these two programs have squared off. And I just, it's kind of one of those those regional games that, as a guy who covers BYU, I've always uh, thought the Ducks and the Cougars should have played more often than they have. So that's, I guess, that's the fun part about this is it's finally here, and they're finally playing a game.
0: Yeah, I, I think it's a great matchup between two teams that, for different reasons and in their own respect, have a level of national recognition that makes it a game that, that people are going to want to watch. And Jason Benetti's calling the game for Fox, I believe, with, with Brock Heward, right. who's a Pac-12 guy but certainly familiar with, with BYU as they're out West and playing Pac-12 schools pretty often. Like, it's it's a game that, that has a draw. And when you have both teams in the top 25, I think it, it amplifies that because you see Oregon and you know – you know whether you're from uh, the state of Oregon or or beyond, you have an idea of what Oregon is about as a football program and what they've been like. And then you hear BYU, and everybody knows BYU for an assortment of reasons. I, I've been uh, learning as I navigate the uh, the fan circles for the Ducks here on uh, social media throughout the week that. There, there are some people who feel very strongly in one particular direction about BYU and their fans, and I I didn't know that that was the case. I, I live in the state of Utah right now. I kind of think everybody's really nice and friendly so far, but I am being informed, Jake, that that is uh, not, the,
1: not the viewpoint of everybody out there. Hey, fandom's a, a fickle thing, man. It's one of those fun things that kind of goes back and forth on <laughs> yeah. both sides, so that's the fun part. Well, hey, Spencer, so uh, how we're going to do this is I'm going to uh, pepper you with some questions here about the Ducks, uh, so I'll get your perspective on what I'm seeing from BYU side of things. I'm going to have you fire some things at me from with regards to the Oregon side of things, then we'll finish up the show and uh, talk about what, what we expect to play out on Saturday afternoon up there in Eugene. So my first question for you is, uh, can you explain to me who Oregon is? Because they went into the Georgia game, got absolutely blasted, and then they followed that up last week by absolutely crushing Eastern Washington, who is no slouch of an FCS program. I can't really get a read on this Oregon Ducks team through two games. Have you gotten a read on them at all?
0: I've been hosting Locked on Ducks since December. I've been following Oregon football for my entire conscious life. (laughs) Jake, I don't have a feel for this team either right now. (laughs) I honestly do not. I've talked about it all week on my show about how I... I don't feel that strongly one way or the other. If I were a betting man looking at this game, I'd say the three and a half is, you know, kind of a lot with that half point hook. But would I say that with any confidence? Absolutely not. Because the more I look at this matchup and the more I look at the information we've got about these teams the more confused I feel, which just leaves me thinking that it's going to be a tight competitive game. And I actually heard the line open closer to six in favor of Oregon, which I think would be way too high and down closer to the two to four range or three to four range where it is now is I think correct because what you have here are two teams that are both capable of finishing the year with anywhere from eight to 10 wins and well within the top 25 by the time the 2022 season comes to a close. But I watched that Georgia game and I was disappointed. I I didn't expect Oregon to win, but I expected more than that. Even in Dan Lanning's first game, they got outcoached and they, they had better players. But the gap in talent between Oregon and Georgia is not 49 to three. That was a coaching gap that you had Kirby Smart and his staff versus Dan Lanning, and his staff, including Kenny Dillingham, the OC, who's a first time full time play caller. Then you play Eastern Washington and you look the way. Everyone wanted them to, myself included. Like I want them going in this game, blow them out, get some backups, some reps, feel confident, have any, have everything flow smoothly. And aside from a couple hiccups that were, you know, pretty minor, like I was nitpicking talking about about my show a bit, but I think those sorts of details will come into play in this game against BYU. I see that game, and I think. I have no idea. And so for us as Oregon fans, this game is a barometer for what to expect and what this team is capable of going forward. And I would give you a better answer if if I could, but I've just seen two completely different performances against two opponents who are not even playing the same sport essentially in Georgia and Eastern Washington. So it's hard to come on and say, well, I feel this way about Oregon we know this and we know that like, It's still kind of in that speculative phase that where we were at before the season began of is Bo Nix going to be a better version of himself? Is the Mm -hmm. offensive line going to be as dominant as we expect them to be? That's the only sure thing I I think right now is the offensive line's been really good in the first two games. But everything else is just kind of up in the air. And that's what makes this game so enticing.
1: Bo Nix uh, should sure looks like he's entrenched as the guy at least for the time being up there and you said you kind of said it already that he's kind of been up and down it seems like and that was kind of the hallmark of his time at Auburn I watch a lot of college football and he had some of these games where, he, when he was playing for Auburn where he's absolutely brilliant other ones he's just completely abysmal uh, frankly and so when it comes to a guy like Bo Nix are, are, do you think that uh, Kenny Dillingham as you mentioned being a first time play caller is he trying to accentuate Bo Nix's strengths or Or is he just trying to uh, find out what exactly Bo is capable of at this point?
0: I think what he's doing so far is framing the offense in his own vision, which he's okay. being able to do for the first time. He doesn't have Gus Malzahn or Mike Norvell there as the head offensive coach on uh, the staff because he's been the OC there, but he was not the, the play caller. So now he has full control, it seems, over that side of the ball. Landing is obviously going to have some input. It's not like... That, that's a common misconception I think in the coaching and football world. It's yeah. like, well, he's a defensive head coach. He doesn't do anything on offense. We're like, No, he, he's sitting in on meeting like he's yeah. having input there's there's not no influence there it's not chip kelly back at oregon when he literally wouldn't go to defensive meetings for an entire week like that's not what happens with most coaches just because they come from a particular side of the ball but i think what dillingham is doing so far is molding the offense in his vision and knowing what he has in bo nicks and what bo is capable of there have been uh, not too many design quarterback runs but playing read option plays bo you know using his feet to get outside the pocket but also so understanding that he wants Bo to play within structure, I, I think to an extent, because one of the the, the knocks on Bo Nix when he transferred to Oregon was, well, he breaks out of the pocket too early, and one thing that we as Oregon fans looked at and said was, okay, well, this is the best offensive line he's probably ever played behind, especially compared to the competition they're going against on the other side, so can you get him to play more within the structure of an offense, get to his second or third progression in a, a passing play, rather than being a one read and tuck quarterback as he was known to do sometimes at Auburn I think he showed that less when uh, he was a junior there in his third season I think he's done pretty well so far but can still improve in that area so I don't think you have an offense that is structured solely around Bo Nix right and his skill set it's not uh, you know a Cam Newton at Auburn offense where if you took Cam Newton out no one else could fill that void someone else could but it's recognizing what Bo is and what he's capable of doing to try to maximize the offensive potential that Oregon has
1: now flipping over the defense for a minute there's a lot of people out there who uh, obviously here in Utah know the name of Noah Sewell obviously uh, he looks like he's on his way to the NFL sooner rather than later Uh has the defense been all it's uh, been cracked up to be coming into the season? I know Tosh Lupoy is there as the defensive coordinator. You mentioned Dan Lanning, his background uh, with Kirby Smart, obviously coming from the Nick Saban coaching tree. How has the defense looked so far through two games?
0: Disappointing that has okay. been the, the, the early feeling amongst Duck fans, at least for me, because Look, I expected Georgia to score over 30 points because that offense is a lot better than most people realize. And Stetson Bennett is better than most people realize. You don't win a national championship game without being at a high level. It may not be Joe Burrow LSU level, but that does mean it wasn't national championship caliber. Obviously, it was. What we saw from the defense in that game, though, was seven touchdowns on seven possessions and an inability to get off the field on third down. And that is below where Oregon fans should have reasonably expected the defense to be at. And was it better against Eastern Washington? Yes and no. Um, what, the, the second touchdown the Eagles scored in the game should not have actually been allowed it was a third and goal play and the, the officials missed an offensive pass interference okay the first touchdown you know you're not going to keep a team scoreless even, even an fcs opponent usually they score once unless your defense is you know georgia or alabama level but the reason that i still feel kind of disappointed in what we've seen so far is you got a defensive head coach who's known for being an x's and o's guru on on that side of the ball He's not calling the defensive plays. He's letting Tosh Lupoy do that, which is the that that that's a coaching decision call. I would prefer landing call plays because that's what he was known for being really good at while he was at Georgia. But he trusts Tosh Lupoy, and we should you know give him a chance in that sense. But so far, the defense has just not been where it needs to be in, in a couple of areas. Number one, too many receivers ran open against Eastern Washington. Their quarterback had a really bad day. He he was not converting third down situations or scoring opportunities when he had receivers wide open, Oregon caught some break. The secondary is not communicating very well. And there are just some question marks from a personnel perspective on, on in that particular position group as it is. And the biggest thing, even more than that, and the secondary certainly is harmed by this. There's been no pass rush. Oregon's got two sacks this year. And one of them came, I believe, in the second half. I think they both came in the second half against Eastern Washington when the game was already in hand. And their quarterback was not under a tremendous amount of pressure. Stephen Bennett was hardly touched in that game against Georgia. Oregon's now without Popo Almavai, reigning first-team All-Pac-12 performer in 2021. He's more of a run-stuffer. But again, it just speaks to the caliber of defensive lineman that you have there. in the, A season ago... When Kayvon Thibodeau wasn't on the field, there was no pass rush. And what we've seen this year is that's still the case. No Kayvon Thibodeau on the field. He's in the NFL. There is no pass rush. And that's my biggest concern for Oregon's defense is if you let Jaron Hall sit back there and uh, toss it around and he's comfortable for 40 throws in a game, he's going to go for 300 plus and three touchdowns.
1: Uh, We'll see how it shakes out. By the way, uh, Gunnar Talkington, uh, the quarterback for Eastern Washington, is one of the great names for a quarterback out there. I just wanted to highlight that. It's one one of those fun things. Oh, yeah. (laughs) All right. uh, So we're going to flip the script. I'm going to let you, Spencer, kind of pepper me with questions about the Cougars. We'll get to that real quick, though. We need to get a word in on our friends over at Bet Online. They are your number one source for all your pro and college football betting needs and sports information. As you've already referenced, the betting line, as of recording of this podcast, has Oregon as a three and a half point favorite over BYU in this matchup. So you can get over to Bet Online, find all the latest football league developments, game matchups, news, and podcasts, including every week's games if you want to take advantage of that now. BetOnline is also your continued source for all of your sports wagering information, including live betting, eSports, and scores. It's also the fastest and the easiest way to check in on all of your other favorite sports and events, including Major League Baseball, MMA, boxing, and golf. Head to the website today or use your mobile device to learn more about the trends in action now. It's all courtesy of your friends at Bet Online. That's kabotaorangedays.com. Thank you once again for making Locked On Cougars and Locked On Ducks your first listen of the day. Always appreciate you guys downloading the show, watching it on YouTube. If you happen to be watching it online, uh, Spencer and I, we love what we do. Uh, I think I, I think I speak for both of us when I say that, Spencer. But very uh, much so. I'm, I'm going to throw it to you. What What do you need to know about the Cougars from the Oregon perspective?
0: Well, uh, let's start with BYU on the defensive side uh, of the ball. And Oregon's offensive line is the unquestioned strength of this team so far. They ran the ball well against Georgia, four and a half yards a carry. I Had a number much higher than that, I think around eight or so uh, against Eastern Washington, which is what you would expect. Even with some shuffling around and injuries, I feel very good about that unit. What have you seen so far from BYU's front seven? How do you think they'll match up against a really talented and experienced offensive line?
1: Well, biggest thing for BYU is last week uh, Baylor, obviously a year ago, Baylor ran the ball for 303 yards on the Cougars in that loss down in Waco and BYU took that loss and it it stuck with them for the entire year and it kind of fueled them throughout the offseason they wanted to get some payback against Baylor Jeff Grimes a former offensive coordinator came back with the Bears with a very good offensive line in his own right Uh, both Oregon and Baylor's offensive lines are top five in the country in most people's minds and BYU limited Baylor to 152 yards on 52 attempts Last week, The the defensive line in particular, they got absolutely manhandled a year ago in Waco, really stepped up. So I think BYU can take some confidence knowing that, hey, we went up against one of the better offensive lines we're going to see all year. We've got another one coming up this week. Uh, I think they expect to be able to hold their own. Obviously, uh, you can say a lot, but uh, obviously proving on the football field is going to be more important. But the good news is they got that payback they were looking for last week against Baylor. I think they can take some of that confidence into this match. Up.
0: Where do you feel the defense has been coming up short so far for BYU? For for me, I said for Oregon, it's very clearly the, the pass rush and that defensive line. Is there a, a unit or a, a, ske- a schematical approach that sticks out to you as something that might concern you on that side of the ball for BYU?
1: Yeah, I'm concerned about the safeties group. I feel the back end. The cornerbacks, I think, are fine. Caleb Hayes and D'Angelo Mandela are going to be your top two corners for BYU, and both of them are very capable cover guys. But the problem I have seen, and then we saw this against USF, we also saw it in stretches during the Baylor game, is that BYU safety group, they get their eyes kind of caught in the backfield, and all of a sudden they have a guy running a crossing route across the middle of the field, and they get lost, essentially, uh, trying to stay with that guy. Uh, if uh, Gary Bohannon, who's now at USF, had been had some receivers who could have caught the ball he may have had a lot more passing yardage and made that game a little more interesting in the opener because the safeties at BYU I don't know what they were seeing they they weren't seeing it let's let's put that's probably the easiest way to say it. they weren't seeing it and that is a concern that uh, a guy like Bo Nix who has started a bevy of games and can manipulate a defense with his eyes and like his hitch and goes like the the just pump and go type stuff. That's why I've got some concerns that safeties may get sucked up and all of a sudden Oregon could pop one with their speed over the top.
0: You mentioned uh, the crowd that, that BYU had a week ago and what Mm -hmm. they saw in Waco in, in 2021 in a loss. And watching that game last week that went to double overtime and was one one hell of a football game and just a really good non-conference college football game. Anyway, you you look at it with uh, plenty of craziness to to be sure. I wonder if you feel this way, Jake, because I watched most of it and I thought, man, BYU probably doesn't pull that out if if they're not at home and, and having the crowd behind them. Is that the way that that you kind of walked away from that game, thinking, I'm really glad that game was played in Provo? Uh,
1: Yeah, I I, I would say that. The thing about this, that game literally rested on a knife edge because think about this. They had two missed kicks. The Cougars could have won that game twice, and Jake Oldroyd misses both both of those kicks late in that game, one in regulation, one in the first overtime period. Both of them potential game winners, and he he missed both of them, and frankly, they weren't close. Uh, So at that point, you're thinking, okay, uh, is Baylor going to steal this one? from the Cougars so yeah I, I really do think that if this game was played at a neutral side or if it was back in Waco very easily it could have been Baylor sneaking out of there with a, the 26-20 to 20 victory it, it, it was really that close I know it's a big win for BYU because you don't throw any wins back obviously but that one about as close as it comes to flipping to, to the other side
0: with that in mind, how do you feel going into Autzen Stadium where it's going to be the polar opposite? There's no bye week. Mm-hmm. It's just this week you had however many tens of thousands of fans, tens of thousands mm-hmm. of fans, because I know how to speak English, screaming in your favor every time you do something right, So now it's going to be the opposite, screaming at you to disrupt your communication every time something goes against BYU, you're going to hear it. How do you feel the team is prepared to respond to to the environment that'll be up there at Autzen?
1: Uh, This is a fairly veteran BYU squad, especially on offense. Jaron Hall, uh, Lopini Katoa, these guys that have been around the program, their offensive line, the tight end group, a lot of them have been around the program for two and three years, and they have played in some of the great stadiums around the country. Think of Wisconsin, uh, Tennessee. They've gone to the Coliseum last year. They've been in some of the most hostile environments you can possibly play in with fan bases that are absolutely rabid. Uh, Autzen, to me, uh, and this is just me as a college football observer, I think it's one of the great home field advantages in the entire sport. Uh, the, the Oregon fans, they are as rabid and just loyal to their team as I have seen. I, I've, I've, I've seen Autzen State, but I've never been inside of it for a game, but it just seems like one of the true home field advantages. So, I think BYU's up for the challenge considering their experience playing in other hostile venues, but the thing about this is Oregon's going to be on them from the get-go, and the way Autzen is built, it just seems like that sound just kind of reverberates around the stadium rather than actually escaping, so it's going to be loud, it's going to be noisy, obviously the the Duck fans are going to be very partisan for their squad. Uh, The other thing about this, by the way, is that I know BYU has got a very strong contingent going up there, so I, I think there will be a little bit more noise than what Duck fans may expect on defense just from the BYU fans in attendance I'm not saying it's going to be absolutely like 50 50 because there's no way it's going to be that but I think BYU this veteran laden squad that they have is going to be able to kind of get these young guys to understand this is how we operate with this type of stuff but man Autzen to me like I said I think it's one of the top truly top home field advantages in the entire uh, pantheon of college football
0: 20 straight wins at Autzen Stadium for the Ducks coming into this one. But BYU, arguably, other than perhaps Washington uh, a few years ago, probably the best team that, that Oregon has played. And here's a good tidbit for you, Jake. BYU is the first ranked non-conference opponent to play in Autzen Stadium since Michigan State in 2014. A game that Oregon ended up winning, but that was a competitive, tightly wound back and forth affair and that's kind of what, what I'm expecting for this upcoming game and with regards to your outside perception of Autzen Stadium it is very
1: loud Well, yeah, it, so, is, it okay. is very loud 8 eight years since a ranked non-conference team has rolled into Autzen I, I'm with you I think it's going to be a very very fun game but that's the thing about this is BYU in some ways uh, the independent era for BYU has kind of prepared them for what they're going to face when they go to Autzen because they've played all over the country they've played uh, as far away as uh, uh, let's, UMass, for example, they've played in really, really small venues. They've played in some of the great, I, they call them cathedrals of this sport. I just think by the, the vagabond nature of how BYU's just kind of played nationwide schedules in, as an independent over the past decade, in many ways has guys prepared for this. But yeah, like I said, otson it seems like it's one of a kind.
0: I got to get the word vagabond into my vocabulary more, <laughs> whether it's in sports talk or play by play. I got I to gotta find ways to just just sneak that into in my shows and, and broadcasts. Uh, let's go to BYU offensively, and it all starts somewhat with uh, the quarterback, mm-hmm. Jaron Hall. I want you to talk about him and what you've seen, because everything that I've watched where he's playing football, I'm impressed, and I see an NFL arm. I see an NFL body. I see a guy who's poised, who looks very experienced, which of course course, he is and is not phased by pressure in the pocket, which he might not be facing on Saturday anyway from from Oregon's defense. So the offense in a way starts with him, but also for, from what I've been able to observe, correct me if I'm wrong, you know the team better than I, hence the nature of this entire show. Is it more of a balanced uh, attack? Like, are they stuck in their ways? They want to play this way or they want to play that way? Or or will Kalani Satake and the offensive staff be more willing to to just want to, you know, run and throw the ball in, in a relatively equal fashion?
1: Their goal every game is to be as balanced as possible. I know every coaching staff says that, but when BYU has their offense truly operating at peak efficiency, you can look up at the end of the day the box score and it probably is 280 passing yards with 260 rushing. If it's a really, really good day. like it, it, They truly go for that balance. Last week against Baylor, they had a very tough time, similar to their game in Waco in 2021 running the football. So What does Aaron Roderick do, the offensive coordinator? He says, you know what, Jaron, you gotta do this with your arm you've got you've got to get us up and down the field and that's exactly what he did and they, they ground out the victory on his arm and you're right the thing about jaron is he is really coming to his own this year he looks just absolutely unfazed but like i said by by anything going on around him he's calm cool and collected he's kind of taken that step that we all saw uh, zach wilson as byu fans uh, in 2020 he kind of just all of a sudden he just kind of came into his own and was like okay he is—he's taken that quote-unquote next step, and he—he's ready for the next challenge in his career. Obviously, that was the NFL, and it sure seems like Jaron is stepping into that same type of a deal this year. Does that mean that he's going to go out and lead BYU to an 11 and one victory, 11 and one season like Zach did? The strength of schedule this year is apples and oranges compared to what they played in 2020 with the pandemic raging. But the thing about this is Jaron—he just—he looks the part now. He—he's always had the arm. He's always had the ability Ability to run he's always had all these tools it seems like he's finally put the whole package together and it sure looks like he is preparing now to make the jump to the NFL
0: yeah I was going to say an 11 to 1 score in football I think that'd be uh, I, I think that'd be a
1: first yeah well the 11 to 1 score you know we're not, we're not playing Canadian rules football with the Rouge right
0: no, no not, not, not to my knowledge maybe that's part of this new wave of all the changes in college football is we're going to just add in uh, those sorts of rules the two receivers that BYU was without uh, a week ago, what's the latest on uh, on that front? Puka Nakua, former Washington Husky, and uh, Gunnar Romney, I'm sure a distant relative of Tug Romney, as portrayed by Schmidt on uh, the show New Girl, which I can see you uh, completely understand. I'm glad uh-huh. somebody gets the reference. I made it the other day, and I was by myself on the show, so I was like, well, I hope somebody uh, finds it amusing. But what's the latest on those two? And if they can't go... Who should we expect to to step up, and how much of a loss is that for the BYU offense?
1: Well, first off, New Girl is always welcome as reference on this show. Let me be very clear about that. Uh, but, yeah, so the big, latest I'm hearing, they, they keep saying it's a day-by-day thing. Gunnar Romney comes on my radio station every week. He's got an NIL deal to do appearances on my radio station. And he said the second that the doctors clear him, he plans to retake the field. Does that mean he plays this week? I do I frankly would hope that he could play, but he said it's really up to the doctors at this point. The, the nature of his injury in particular shrouded in a mystery. Nobody really knows what's going on. There's all kinds of different conjecture and rumors around that one. It's my opinion. This is just me speaking. I haven't, I don't have any Intel on this. I am guessing that neither of them play this week. I think that uh, Puka, that ankle injury suffered against USF. I, uh, it's with ankles if it's anything serious it's usually 3 to 5 weeks before you really are feeling yourself again so i i think it'd be hard, he'd be hard pressed to play and like i said with gunner the way he described it and i think he was being genuine about it it's really up to the doctors at this point the second they say he is good to go i think he's out there on the football field i just with how things have progressed so far this season i wouldn't count on him playing either
0: what sort of loss is that for uh, the offense? Are you confident in the guys that are behind them and scheduled to, to most likely fill in? Or is that you know something in your mind of like, man, I, I, I think there's going to be a moment where I wish I had at least one of those guys out there.
1: Well, th- they didn't have either of them against Baylor last week, and I was frankly terrified. I'm like, oh, geez, your top two receivers not available against the defending Big 12 champions. But uh, one guy emerged, and a guy that I have heard a lot about, uh, coaches have raved about him. His name is Chase Roberts. He's a redshirt freshman. a a local kid from about uh, 20 minutes north of Provo at American Fork High School, Uh, a former four-star talent uh, before going on an LDS mission and then uh, returning and spending last year essentially getting himself back into shape. But he broke out last week. Eight receptions, 122 yards, had a touchdown right before halftime, and then actually many people probably saw that pass back uh, to Jaron Hall in that game. He's the one that actually threw that touchdown pass. So uh, he broke out last week. It was kind of his opportunity to step up, and he really did step up. So, I'm still concerned that not having your top two receivers against the speed and athleticism that Oregon has, it's just, to me, it screams, okay, you're at a disadvantage there, but if you can get another guy to step up like Chase did last week against Baylor, they may be able to make do with it, and obviously, they're going to be hoping that their tight ends have a better week this week than they did a week ago.
0: Well, I'll give some hope to BYU fans here. Christian Gonzalez, the Colorado transfer, is a guy I feel good about in Oregon's secondary and pass coverage that is it there is nobody else who i have unwavering faith in to cover a guy in a one-on-one situation so that that might give byu fans uh, some semblance of hope and it always helps if your quarterback has you know five to six seconds to throw the ball which uh he, he very easily could
1: all state wants to remind fans that mayhem is everywhere especially during march
0: your eyes are on the road but the driver in front of you has both eyes on their bracket All right, Jake, you ready for uh, for the big thing that, uh, that'll get everybody all up in the YouTube comments and on Twitter saying, oh, you were so wrong. You're so bad. Terrible. Uh-huh. Why do you even have a show? Not even close. Not even close,
1: man. Ready to make predictions? Absolutely. This, this is my favorite thing about these crossovers, by the way. Because I we had so we did Baylor last week. I had Drake Toll on from Locked On Baylor. I actually had a chance to catch up with him. He came to Provo for that game. The the network we have it, it's continuing to expand. I think we have up to like sixty college shows out there. This is the fun part about this is getting uh, us together and being able to say, okay, here's what I'm seeing. Here's what they've got, and then we get to throw out these predictions. So I, I want to ask you first off. Spen- Spencer what if if Oregon's going to win this game give me I guess some keys to a victory for Oregon I think you have to
0: win the turnover battle and that's a pretty generic one to go to but if you want to be more specific with it my key to the game for Oregon is executing in, in key moments and turnovers are a part of that but I think whichever team executes better is going to end up winning winning that means no special teams blunders, third downs, and red zone. I think those are the three areas that are going to define it. If there's a big, explosive, game-changing play on either side, I think you could look up at the end and say, man, that was the difference, that blocked field goal. Or you know, they had to settle for three here when they had a guy open in the end zone and, and they didn't get a touchdown, they left four points on the board. I think it's going to be one or two, maybe three, but probably one or two of those moments. And it sounds specific, but it it reminds me a lot of golf, Jake, where you look at it, you go, you know, the difference in me playing well today and not playing well was like one hole. And you have to be able to put together a full 18 because 17 is just not going to be enough when you have a a quality opponent. So I, I think that's the most important thing for Oregon is to execute in the red zone on third down and on special teams. I think they can give themselves a, a good chance to to win this game. I only say that because they're at home. If this were on the road or even a neutral site, I would not feel great about it because I think BYU is a really good physical football team under Kalani Satake, a guy who was rumored to be in the mix for Oregon's head coaching vacancy th- this off season and with good reason. So I, I think that it'll come down to those, those very, very little things. I, I do think the Ducks... Get it done. I think you get a thirty-one twenty-eight final, and I think Oregon scores a touchdown with about maybe four. It won't be like a last second. I think Oregon scores a go-ahead touchdown. You know, kind of latter part of the fourth quarter, maybe between the three to six minute range to go up thirty-one twenty-eight, and and find a way to to hold on. I would take that outcome in a heartbeat right now, and I will say I say that with the least amount of confidence possible because I think this BYU team is good and like I said at the start of the show I don't have a read on Oregon yet this is the game where I'm going to watch them go okay here's what we should expect to see going
1: forward uh, i I can I, I got mad respect for, for you saying that because I, I got a similar feeling on this one uh one thing I that I think BYU if they want to win this football game they've got to run the ball more effectively than than, it, than they did last week they they average I think it was 2.9 yards per carry last week uh, they they have to improve on that you've got to get that number up around 4.55 yards per carry you got to be able to control the clock in a, in a matchup like this going on the road quieting the crowd uh keeping uh the, the other offense off the football field I think it's absolutely critical for BYU's chances I actually really like your take on that is the execution in those critical key moments because similar to the Baylor game last week like I said it kind of that game really was on a knife's edge at the tail end of it and I feel the same way about this Oregon game I actually had a similar score line in mind when you said 31-28 Oregon I had BYU 31 Oregon 24 so I, I think we're right in the same ballpark here and that's the thing about this is think about that both of these are one score games and it Like you said, one crazy explosive moment, a big kick return, BYU gave up one of those against USF, a pick six off a ball that pops up, anything like that can turn a game like this on its head. So both of these teams, I I think you're dead on. They've got to take care of the football and obviously, like you said, execute in those critical moments because if you have a momentary lapse, it can completely flip this game on its head.
0: Yeah, and just just one moment, right? Yeah. Where you look and go, "Man, that was, you know, just like I was saying in golf, that one shot got away from you and you put a triple on the scorecard instead of a par and you're like, "But it was just one it was just one swing. I played well for 17 holes. Why am I putting this number on the scorecard? I just it was just one bad swing, but I really think that this is going to be the the sort of game that that comes down to that and man, I hope it will be cuz then it'd be a thrilling environment on uh, a national stage yeah. at Austin Stadium. Packed house, big time fan base support from both Oregon and, and BYU. I, I I can't wait for the game, Jake, and we'll have to we'll have to come on and
1: uh, assess what we saw next week. However, however it plays out. Well, absolutely. When, let me just insert this as a guy who had a chance to break eighty for the first time in his life this summer and then ended up triple bogeying uh, number seventeen no, that was no, a par five because no, no. I because I sent two shots OB. Uh, yeah, I know exactly what you're talking about. <laughs> so it literally it was it was hole oh, no, seventeen. I triple bogey a par five end up shooting an 82 and I just it it's it, 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 that's what's I think we're three months removed from that actually happening and it's still stuck with me so you know one of those
0: that's why you go back that's why you that's why you go back and play again whichever team loses oh, you're gonna yeah. get back on the bike and you're, <laughs> you're gonna play next week
1: you have to that's absolutely the truth well Spencer like you said uh, we'll have to do uh, I guess a post-mortem on this game we'll, we'll do that we'll have some fun but any final thoughts from you as we wrap things up here Get me to Saturday. Hey, amen to that. I. It's my mindset every weekday in the fall.
0: Like, how many days till Saturday, man? <laughs>
1: C- count it <laughs> down. <get> <laughs> yeah, no, no doubt about that. Well, hey, Spencer was fantastic to catch up. We'll do it again soon uh, for Spencer. I'm Jake. Thank you for making both Locked On Cougars and Locked On Ducks. I'm also giving you a plug for Locked On Pac-12. If if you want the latest on the Pac-12, Spencer does a great job covering the depth and breadth of the Pacific Co- uh, Pacific Athletic Conference. I want to say Pacific Coast Conference. That's not. That's obviously not right. But uh, it does a great I job go there.
0: by the Pacific. Coast Conference. I don't know. We always just call it the Pac. I think that I think Pacific Coast. I don't think I've heard Pacific Athletic Conference before.
1: So it, I think it's just Pac twelve. Okay. Well, hey. Regardless. <laughs> Anyways, you do a great job with that. Uh, any BYU fans you. out there? Also encourage it. Make sure you check out Locked On Big Twelve. Make that your second listen of the day. And until next time, have a good one. Hey, Prime members.